Are you a cop? No. Just, that's what a cop would say, you know? So I'm gonna have to check for a wire. Hey, well, it's a good thing I wore my second best prop. That's hilarious. Did you guys hear the thing about the second best bra? Because it's her second best bra. Okay. Okay. This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 270 for the week of September 30th, 2019. I am big blow to the poker world, David T. Cole, and I'm here with premature affiliation, Sarah D. Bunting. Nice to meet you, obvious threat. Cumin distresser, Tara Ariano. That sounds like some city shit. And banana etiquette expert, Kim Reed. Come on in, guys. <laughs> Welcome to Extra Hot Great, episode 270. We are here with returning guest, Kim Reed. Hello, Kim. Kim. Hello. Kim. We are going to try to cover three shows that premiered last week, one returning, two brand new, and in order for the conversation not to get out of control, given all three topics so that we, we each gets their fair share of discussion. Plus, we're working on a deadline. That's right. We are working. We're going to do a shot clock. So Sarah is going to be in charge of the timer. We're going to talk about each show for eight minutes, starting with... Survivor, season 39. I feel like where we should start here is with the big innovation represented by the Island of the Idols, which is the theme of this season. So, Kim, explain for our listeners what this is and what you thought of it as a new twist on the game that, at this point, we all know. Okay, so Island of the Idols, first of all, the contestants were not really given a lot of information at the start of the game, just the name of the season. And so they probably all think either on the island they're on or maybe on a separate island, there's a whole bunch of hidden immunity idols. But what it really means is that there is a separate island. And on that island are two 24 foot tall head statues, busts, I guess they would be, Mm -hmm. of Boston Rob and Sandra, Survivor Legends, former winners, Sandra Twice. Um, and also the actual people, Boston, Rob, and Sandra are on the island. And at some point in each week, somebody from each one tribe will get sent to the island where they will get counseled or challenged or something. We've only seen one episode, so the full spectrum isn't really clear yet. Uh, by Boston, Rob, and Sandra. Um, they are the idols, not the hidden immunity idols. And what I think about it is, I'm one of those people who's like, I used to be very like, oh, the purity of the game and they should go back to basics and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and after about five years ago, I kind of got over it because I went, you know what? It'd be really freaking boring if they just did the same thing every season. Like now I understand that they need twists. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. But every season I'm sort of like, eh, we'll see how it plays out. Sometimes I enjoy them. I love Sandra, especially Boston Rob is whatever. Fine. He's fine. Um, and so anything that puts her on my screen again, I'm totally fine with. So those are my thoughts. Have you guys ever seen the movie Zardoz? Yes. No. I kind of want those two heads to (laughs) float in, come out of the sand to start spitting immunity idols at everybody. Like, (laughs) oh my God. Yes. Do you also want Sean Connery in a thongatard? More for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm, I'm good. Um, Um, I liked it. I like Sandra. I like Rob. I would watch um, like Survivor After Dark of like just them in that little 
um, hidden booth snug. that they watch mm-hmm. uh, Tribal Council from. <laughs> I was interested to know what other people thought of Elizabeth's decision to just straight up lie about everything because I would have just told the truth because I have no game and would be out in two episodes. <laughs> well, do you, do you think people would believe her, though? Like, it's so weird and it's so different from what people have done. But the other problem is in two more episodes – Somebody else from her tribe is going to go there. Right. Yeah. And then they're going to know. So then it's yeah. a whole weird thing. So I might have been tempted to tell the truth, although I don't know if Elizabeth knows that. So I might have been tempted to tell the truth just because then you don't get outed later as a liar. Right. Yeah. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. Is that, like the, the, the key to selling a, a lie well is tell as much of the truth as you can. Mm-hmm. And so given that in all likelihood, as far as she knows, as Kim said, someone else is going to find that out. Then when they come back, they're like, why didn't Elizabeth say anything about this? That was super shady because you know, the first thing they're going to ask was like, did you already meet Elizabeth? Like, were you here when she was here after our very first challenge? Cause then she is yeah, going to look super sketchy. I also thought it was weird that Rob shaded Elizabeth for taking the first deal that he offered when they were like to, you know, to do the fire challenges. Like there's always something else that you could have asked for. Like that's not the case in survivor. Like what you get what you get and you don't get upset. That's how it goes. (laughs) Like this is the reward. If you don't win it, you don't get it. The end. Like I thought that was strange. Yeah. That's Rob though. Fair enough. He likes to, I mean, he certainly wasn't, didn't take it easy on, Elizabeth after she lost and he just was like that was a terrible decision why would you choose that which he was right but you know you don't have to be so mean about it Rob so as as more of an expert on the game I think than the rest of us Kim do you agree with the rest of her tribe that Elaine is a huge threat in terms of her social game I mean she is but I don't know if she's that big of a threat this early yeah, I felt like she seems like she'd be uh, good in challenges. Like before the merge, it's all about who can help us win challenges so we don't have to go to tribal council so right. we can keep our tribe strong. And mm-hmm. then because that's why the traditional boot mer- merge boot is like a Joey Amazing or a yeah. Malcolm or somebody who's really good at challenges or who's a big threat. Basically, that's mm-hmm. when you get rid of the Elaine, not in the first boot. That seemed a little much to me are they always overthinking this much about social strategy this early on i haven't watched in a while yeah um, um dan and i totally got sucked in and we're gonna keep watching but he was like i it's the first day like some of yeah. them still have makeup on what the fuck <laughs> i thought the same thing i would say more so in recent seasons because they've been casting differently that was one of my notes that i had the last maybe three four seasons they've been casting more people who know the game fans right as opposed to casting for looks honestly is what they always you know it used to be somebody who'd never heard of the survivor before somehow some alien from another planet um (laughs) who would go in and have no idea what the game was or what was happening uh no strategy and that's just really boring because then those people just get picked off so they've been casting more fans of the game and as a result i would think yes that They've been looking at um, there's more reasoning for these early boots, whereas it used to just be, well, this person doesn't fit in. So Mm -hmm. we're going to ostracize them like a society would, I guess. So two minute warning. I think I got the um, the hook for season 40, what they need to do, which is uh, do you remember a show called Chains of Love where they uh, just change people up? 
All right. So for the first day or two, the whole tribe is chained together so nobody can go off into the jungle and sneak away. <laughs> Everything's yep. out in the open unless two people have a know like sign language or something, um, which they could cast against. And that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, it's going to be rough times when people get diarrhea from whatever they get to <laughs> eat. But, you know, <laughs> that's the risk you take when you go. Bad for them. Good for us, the viewer. Who doesn't want to see <laughs> diarrhea on CBS? Nope. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> no, me neither. God. Ugh. I mean, I will say on the Millennials versus Gen X season, which was a few seasons back now, um, they were very open more than any other season discussing like, this is my strategy. Here's what I, here's my plan. Here's what I'm going to do. It doesn't involve you. So I'm probably going to have to target you at some point. Like <laughs> they would just come right out and tell people. And it was weird, but also kind of refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um to, to hear people talk like that, especially the millennials tribe was very much like that for whatever reason. So that's yeah. sort of with minus the chains. It's kind of what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. The only other thing I had was by Ronnie. No one will miss you. You seemed creepy. Yes. Yeah. Although not as creepy as Dave, the talent manager who was massaging all the ladies. Oh my God. Handsy Joe. Mm-hmm. When I saw him digging his fingers into like under her buff into her neck, I like almost threw up like yeah. that would yeah. creep me out so Just bad. Just tell him in so many words you're not comfortable with that. Hello. Yeah. What year is it? Yeah. Well, she eventually did to her credit. I mean, it's got to be hard on Survivor because you That's time. don't want to. Sorry. Offend anyone. <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> that worked out well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on to Stumptown. Dex, Kobe Smulders, is a five-tour Afghanistan veteran returned to Portland with some PTSD syndromes. She has a whole backstory involving the love of her life, who died in Afghanistan while she was there with the engagement ring he intended to use to propose to her, and they go back to their childhood or teenhood or whatever. She kind of drifts into a job as a PI with the endorsement of her would-have-been mother-in-law, Suin, played by Tantu Cardinal, who's a casino magnate, and she has a maybe-love-interest cop played by Michael Ely from Dave's favorite show of all time, Almost Human, and another maybe-love-interest bar owner friend played by Jake Johnson from New Girl, and we are discussing it starting now. Kim, when the cold open kind of turned on a joke involving how impossible it is not to sing along to Sweet Caroline on the radio, <laughs> I turned to Dave and said, this is Kim Reed pandering content. <laughs> Was I right? <laughs> well, Tara, you wouldn't know this. Sarah would. But, oh, uh, I know Sweet it's Caroline a Red is, Sox thing. I do know yeah, that. Yes, yes. So it's So I'm... We're a Yankees family, so that was the only part of it that bothered me. But I had actually seen the cold open before, I think in a movie theater, like during oh, okay. you know, previews. Because sure. I was watching it, I was like, I've seen this. So I kind of knew what was going to happen, which sort mm-hmm. of ruined it. But I did like the um, the shtick of, you know, her tape deck always sticks. And so her songs just start playing at weird times and totally inappropriate songs. It could get super old if they mm-hmm. keep it up. But for one episode, yes, it did it, kind it of make could. me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> it was basically like Bumblebee from the Transformers. It was just like this, uh-huh. like, wow, that song's on point. Oddly. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, it sounds like it started wearing on you right away. Yeah. I just felt like I'd seen a variation on that. Like, you know, the um, hench dudes have a, you know, this cuddly thing. Mm-hmm. scene um i like i really like kobe smulders in this show that i don't like mm. do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i sort of like everyone in it and i'm like why are why are you stuck in this show this was intensely piloty um yes. Yes. It, it was just like every single thing um 
There was a line early on where Sue Lynn's like, you just blew your military disability check at the craps table. Like, oh, is that what she did? Are there any <laughs> footnotes? Like, oh, <laughs> she and again, the actor did fine with the line reading. It's just like they're just piling a lot on. And I like based on how piloty it was, I'm both encouraged and discouraged. Like I'm not going to keep watching it, but if someone tells me that it calms down and gets better and more interesting, I will come mm-hmm. back to it. How did you guys feel? I liked it. Um, I thought, uh, although it bugged me that there was an in broad daylight on a residential street kidnapping scene, like it's mm. 1230, like someone is going to see you, but whatever. Other than that, I thought the action sequences were well done. Kobe Smulders was convincing in a fight and I like her, um, you know, <laughs> bisexual PI energy. <laughs> frankly. Um, but it, this, this reminded me more than anything of um, Whiskey Cavalier, which I also liked at first. And then we watched like, probably half a season and then we're like eh, I'm probably good and I feel like this might be the same thing but because mm. of the pilotiness I will watch at least one more Dave what did you think um, well I know this is based on a graphic novel that I think became an ongoing comic at some point I mm. uh, almost read it and I heard it was going to be a TV show and I thought well maybe I'll actually go into the TV show fresh this time so I didn't actually end up reading it although I did notice that the first chunk of the comic was the whole episode that the whole pilot so uh oh. i'm wondering how quickly they'll run out of source material not that this is like so high concept that you can't just right here's a new case it's you know the mm-hmm. case of the missing special coffee brew oh no you know like whatever <laughs> whatever i'm gonna do um one thing that i noticed in the pilot that i was i enjoyed was how every business that had their own version of the portland's best espresso sign the Dingy Motel had one outside. The Taco Guy had one outside, and the um, the new bar that Jake Johansson opens had one inside. So everybody apparently in Portland has Portland's best espresso. <laughs> um, I I thought it was fine. I, I, I you're totally nailed it. It gave me the same sort of feeling I had after watching the Whiskey Cavalier pilot, which is it's fun. People generally have good chemistry on the show. Uh, I really enjoyed the cold open. I had not seen it before. I thought it was fun. Sarah is right. The sort of goofy uh, pop culture infused henchman is something we've seen mm-hmm. before from Quentin Tarantino yes. to Venture Brothers. The Mexican, to, I think, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's not new, but it's also not so tired that i don't enjoy Mm. it especially when you stick neil diamond in there you know it's kind of fun and it is kind of fun until it kind of isn't you know like it there's a lot of um post-traumatic stress stuff that like i know they're trying to flesh out the character and it is a pilot but it really feels kind of whiplashy um i think there are elements of that character that they could have saved for episode two or three down Mm. the line and kind of really concentrated on having a more consistent first episode um not bad but like not super great cam are you gonna keep watching uh yeah i'll definitely give it another couple episodes my like sarah i also really liked all the character all the casting and all the performances a lot that was definitely tops but um i just like while i was watching it i was just thinking like do we need another like a lady who has kind of a dark past and she's Mm -hmm. troubled and she deals with it with alcohol and sex and, you know, but she's really a good person and she's also amazing at her job, but she's just going through a rough patch. And I'm like, Veronica Jones. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, two minute warning, by the way. Yeah. Uh But we've just seen this before. 
I, I didn't see anything that set it apart or made it better or an inter- more interesting take than what we've seen before, but I'll give it a few episodes. I wish we're actually less serialized and more procedural because I was interested mm. a little bit in the case mm-hmm. and I don't care so much about the sort of ongoing various flirtations and her brother. That is her brother, right? Yeah. And uh, the casino. And I'm like, eh, I don't really need all all of that. You know, so I think I would like it more if it were more self-contained episodes, which in this day and age doesn't happen because then people won't watch the next one on streaming services. So, right. Yeah, I I thought her her sleuthing stuff was good. I thought it was funny when she went to ask the surly teen about, you know, to look at her phone and this teen was like, no. And then she just like parked around the corner and like ran up behind her and (laughs) snatched her. It was like, oh, that's not slick. That's just that's just smart and desperate. Like, I enjoyed that part. of it. I hope the surly teen is back. I really enjoyed her. Her sourpuss was awesome. Dave, the most important question is, how do you feel being reunited with Dorian after all these years? I will only say this, and I did want to end with this, so thank you for asking that question. A footnote to the start of this conversation on this show, which is when you said that uh, the actor was in this show, you couldn't see it, you couldn't hear it, but I knocked on my genitals like they were smooth, like his on (laughs) (laughs) almost here. (laughs) Nice. Sunnyside. This is an NBC sitcom on their one and only night of sitcoms, which is Thursday, even though their slogan now is comedy starts here. It doesn't. Uh, Cal Ben <laughs> plays Garrett Modi. He is a or was a New York City councilman until very recently. He was disgraced. He was wandering drunk along the BQE, I think. Yep. Um, so he needs to figure out his next move. He wants to run for office again and do it right this time. And so in order to raise money because he has none, he's basically sells hangouts with himself for 50 bucks a person and, you know, humiliates himself for people's entertainment. Through this, he falls in with a group of immigrants who are studying to become citizens who think his connections can help them to do that. And at first he does it for selfish reasons, but then his heart grows three sizes and something. This was the lowest rated show of network premiere week. Um, I feel like this had elements in common with past NBC shows like Community and AP Bio, one of which I like a lot. But the Exactly big, my notes. <laughs> the biggest problem for me is that Cal Penn's acting is, to put it kindly, on a different register from the rest of the cast. And to put it unkindly, not great. Sarah, what did you think? Don't show vomit. It's rules number rule numbers one through fifty eight in uh in Bunsey Land. Uh asterisk, not a real place. <laughs> I, I just it's it seemed at like seven different points like it was about to take off and get funny. Mm-hmm. And then it just didn't. And between It's super piloty too. Yeah, it's very piloty. And uh one of my uh TV pet writing pet peeves is the way that siblings are often written, uh, namely as though the people in the writer's room don't have any, have never met anyone who had any, um, like the Mulders are the most extreme example, but this just was like a very, uh, I liked both the actors and the content of the scene was funny, but it was also extremely antic in the scene. And they're Mm -hmm. just like, and they're playing the same character. Yeah. Except one of them had scrubs on. Like, I know. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the rich Asians. (laughs) I did too, but it's true in both cases, actually. Yeah, them too. But uh, yeah, no, I was talking about uh, Cal Penn and Sister Penn. um, That I know it's a pilot, but I was just like, has nobody ever had a conversation with a sibling? 
and could just write it down and have it be natural at all. Um, like there were a couple of funny lines, but there was also just a lot of like lazy character sketches. And I do mean sketches. Like I'm Mm -hmm. certainly not going to watch this again and it should get canceled. It's not fully cooked. Yeah. What did I'll throw this to both of our baseball fans. What did you both think of the baseball is America monologue that we get toward the end? Fuck out of here. I think I kind of stopped paying attention at that point. <laughs> Fair I, enough. There it is. <laughs> I I mean, I like I have liked Cal Pat and other things, but I just kept thinking, well, he's not charming enough to pull this role off. No. At least the, you know, at least his whatever. I don't you know, perhaps he has it in him. I don't know. Yeah. But I feel like this role, you know, it's supposed to be somebody who can talk his way out of anything. Yeah. And I wasn't buying it from him. You know, he's just not, Mm -hmm. he doesn't have it. And my other note, my only other note was that the um, rich Asian siblings sometimes seem to just be doing that Cecily Strong character from Weekend Update about Uh the drunk girl that you get stuck talking to at the party, (laughs) like note for note. And Mm -hmm. I was just, you know, I I don't know if it was the direction or the writing or the performance. I don't know, but it just and I'm usually are very charismatic. I thought it was a pity that this was kind of just, you know, one point five dimensions. Yeah, yeah. The the guy Joel Kim Booster is a stand-up comic, and he's really funny. He was also in Shrill earlier this year and was very good in that role too. But yeah, this is not playing to his strengths. Yeah, and you know, I know it's a um, it's a Mike Sure, right? Mm -hmm production um and sometimes his shows take a few episodes to sort of find their way um but i don't this one i don't know if i'm gonna keep watching yeah the the thing when i was thinking about it some more today was uh which we haven't touched on yet is one of the students in the class as a you know ad hoc class gets detained by ice for a technicality with his immigration paperwork. And at the end of the first episode, we still don't know what's going to happen to him. And my fear is that they're going to, there's going to be a like, Oh, bumbling ice baddies storyline where they're like ultimately yeah. just toothless. And I'm really scared that that's where they're going. Cause it seems like it might be that kind of show. I mean, yeah. Like what else are they going to do? It is a sitcom, but here's what I kept thinking like this. Um, I live in the Brooklyn district where the pizza guy got set up mm-hmm. um, at the at Fort Hamilton. Our city councilman is a 300 pound vegan part time punk rock guitarist who just adopted two retired greyhounds. Like I would <laughs> a gazillion to I would one billion dollars rather watch just a documentary about Justin Brannon than uh-huh. two more minutes of this. It's time to go around the dial talking about more things we're watching on TV these days. First stop, Tara Ariano. Well, I have a couple of things and I'll do the quick one first. We also watched Perfect Harmony, Perfect Harmony, which is NBC's other sitcom premiere. Also kind of another take on AP Bio. We got a disgraced teacher played by Bradley Whitford. He reluctantly takes on a new teaching assignment. He's driven by spite to stay in it. The spite story here is that his wife died. She, they were in the town where she grew up in Kentucky and she wanted to be buried like in her old church cemetery. But now it's a mega church. 
somehow and the guy running it is john carroll lynch and he also is her ex and he didn't let her get buried there for reasons we still don't know so that's the spite reason because this other guy's choir keeps winning and the bradley Worthers guy name is arthur cochran he's a retired slash disgraced music professor at princeton shout out sarah um, so he falls in with this other like underdog church to like build up, you know, teach them how to win choir competitions, which like how many are there in a year? It's very glee-ish <laughs> and there's like a glee joke in it. You do the circuit, Tara. But it's also funny that John Carroll Lynch is playing this guy here and, you know, uh, jingles the serial killer on American Horror Story 1984. Yeah. Two very different takes on John Carroll Lynch this season. Preller needs a jump. <laughs> yeah, mm, if only. Um, the strong supporting cast, Anna Camp, is a bit much in the premiere. Um, she really is enjoying doing a Southern accent, which is like, fine. Um, and Bradley Whitford has some funny lines, but there's also a snowflake joke, which like, speaking of lazy, it's okay enough to watch one more, but it was the second lowest rated show of network premiere week. So it's probably not an obligation that I will have for very long. I made mm. Dave watch this with me. Dave, your thoughts? Pass. I watched it. I watched it, too. <laughs> this is the dumbest criticism of a sitcom. What are we here for? It really upset me that the, you know, underdog choir, like, suddenly, without the help of Bradley Whitford, the musical genius who got them all to sing perfectly, whatever, mm-hmm. um, suddenly had this, like, mashup for yeah. their performance. Like, who arranged that? When right. none, I, Like, it just came out of nowhere. Um so the music rehearsal part of it to me, you know, was unrealistic, which mm-hmm. is a dumb criticism. But that's, that's what not I got. a dumb criticism. That's a totally <laughs> legit criticism. They just seem too good for from what we saw to where their performance was. Like they're not that good. Yeah, agree. At least they didn't win. But I mean, spoiler. But yeah, it was dumb. The much more interesting thing that I watched this week uh, was the documentary Buzz on HBO. This is about Buzz Bissinger, the sports writer. Uh, he wrote Friday Night Lights, the original book that the movie and then the show were based on. Also the star of a notorious GQ story from 2013 about his leather fetish slash compulsive shopping, which we will link in the show notes because fucking wow, you guys. <laughs> Both of these things also come up, but the the peg for this is kind of uh that he was working with caitlin jenner on her autobiography also it's the 25th anniversary of friday night light so both of those things were happening at the same time while they were filming and the main story though is like as his life has gone on buzz has more and more like accepted and leaned into his fetish for leather and so it's about his that and how it's affecting his marriage and the filmmakers like it seems like he knew them already and they had a crazy amount of access and both both buzz and his wife whose name is lisa smith are extremely candid in this thing but like i don't want to say anything more about it because it's like i really don't want to spoil it it's uh, it's definitely worth watching and it's on hbo go but like it's a journey and it's crazy <laughs> that considering um HBO basically gives us screeners for like everything especially for their documentaries like almost always several weeks in advance and this one they didn't like no one has written about it this week at all I was talking to Dave Roth last night and I was like because he is also a sports writer I was like did you watch this and he was like I did not even know it existed <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's crazy how little attention it's gotten for what a wild document it is like i honestly can't say more about it without ruining it but it's like it's it's uh it's a it's a lot i recommend it 
And then <laughs> when you've watched it, like find me on Twitter because it's all I want to do is talk about it. It's crazy. And that's it. Oh, uh, for my plug, um, the Sweet Smell of Succession, our Succession podcast, uh, me and Dave Chen do, only has two episodes left because guess what? There's only two episodes left of the season. So join us at SuccessionPodcast.com to um, find out our thoughts on those very last two episodes. I can't believe it's already over. Kim Reed's next. Hello, Kim. Hello. So I know you guys just talked about the challenge. I think Sarah did a few weeks back. Who else? Um, but... <laughs> Uh, it's still ongoing, and I still want to talk about it, so I'm going to. Um, <laughs> the one thing I just wanted to bring up is one of the issues with the challenge that when Joe and I used to do the – Joe Reed and I used to do the podcast about that we would talk about a lot is that they hadn't really found a way to integrate the new people and somehow get them to break through this old guard that had been doing challenges in some cases for – decades, um, because they would always sort of form this veterans coalition, and then the newbies wouldn't get be organized enough, and so they would just take them all out, and it was always kind of the same people making it to the end, or at least part of their, their block would make it to the end. But this season, things have changed, and the last three people who have gone out are probably three of the four most long-standing, long-running uh, competitors that the the show has seen. So um, I wanted to ask Sarah how she's feeling about the the challenge these days. If she, if do you see the uh, difference in the quality of the you know competitions or how, who's getting sent home? Um, yeah, and there are see it's funny because when you were talking about um, Survivor and how they introduce these sort of baroque twists that are almost impossible to follow and sometimes they really work for gameplay and other seasons are just like inert and you're never sure what you're going to get yeah. in recent challenge seasons I've noticed that like you know the big dogs are going home early because the newbies have finally figured out that they need to A watch the show and B even if they haven't if someone is like you got to get rid of bananas like today that's correct you do yeah so i'm always concerned if like because i you know i have my old favorites too and i don't like as the one person who actually likes wes i'm like oh like uh, you know i would rather have him on the show to the end because he is amusing to me yeah but this is like this was the sort of thing that was beginning to drag the show down is that at the end it was always the same five or six people and you can't that's not how the show is going to survive so i'm always apprehensive when like the you know challenge monsters so to say go out but it's like you know you just have to watch the season through and then in retrospect sometimes you're like yeah that didn't work out but last season it worked so yeah i'm interested also to see this season they're doing something they haven't done in a long time which is they have two giant teams. It's the U.S. versus the U.K. And you have to assume that at some point they're going to break those teams down into pairs or teams of four or individual or something. Because it doesn't make sense to have a team win the entire thing and then they have to split the money somehow. Um so, But they haven't really shown any sign of doing that. Usually by now they've had some sort of mix-up. And they haven't this season. Yeah, I also like that when they first introduced that thing where they're like, okay, if you're, you know, you have the option to switch teams. 
Yeah. That I was like, then what's the fucking point of having these teams? But then it was like, oh, once they get to, there's inevitably going to be a merge or a shakeup of some kind. And then that seems less uh, like abrupt or weird because th- there's already been a shuffle up. Yeah. So. And there does seem to have been a lot of sort of cross uh, team fraternization, shall we say. <laughs> there's various relationships that have mm. formed. Um friendships you know all that stuff so it's not like the two teams are totally separate anyway um anyway so you know it's not a perfect season but it's an interesting season so that's what i'll say for now what do you think of uh the tej beard he's fine like tj's tj you know (laughs) like i just need him to come on and yell at people when they quit and tell them they killed it when they don't and you know he was a little much basic facts yeah he, which yeah. is this week, which I'm excited about. But, oh, yeah. Um, he was a little much with the, like, bananas. Are you really going to choose one of the greatest competitors ever to play the oh, game? My God, I was like, oh, I know. Right, Teej, relax Jesus. a little bit. It's not that. Jim Thorpe. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also gone home. Like, he hasn't won a challenge since he won with Sarah. And uh, yeah, he also has gone home, like, in the first five, the last, like, three or four challenges. So let's mm. relax a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Kim, do you you have anything to plug? I don't have anything to plug for myself at the moment. So I thought I would just mention uh, my Twitter account is at Kim Reed. And if anyone wants to talk to me, I have been like, it seems like half the the planet, the media universe, have been rewatching Lost and listening to a bunch of the various rewatch podcasts that are ongoing. Uh, There's Three that I know of that I've been listening to. There's probably even more than that. Yeah, Mo Ryan, past guest of the show, has one I know. Yes, she does on Sci-Fi Wire. And uh, Joanna Robinson has one. And uh, they have one. The Rob has a podcast team has one as well. And what I have found is that, uh, you know, I watched the show when it aired. I wasn't I was fine with the ending. I know a lot of people hated it, but I was whatever. Um, And now that I'm rewatching it for the first time, I think. Turns out I didn't really understand what happened in the show because when I'm listening to these podcasts and they're talking about, oh, yeah, so then what will happen later? Like they're spoiled podcasts where they talk about what happens in the future. And I'm like, wait, that happened? Like I clearly missed a whole lot. So I'm excited to go back and rewatch (laughs) it and find out all the stuff I missed. So if you also, that sounds interesting to you, hit me up on Twitter. I'd love to talk about it. Sarah Debunting. Um, Below Deck Mediterranean, its finale aired uh, as we're recording this last night. Um, It was a weird season in that everyone was like pretty likable. Like there were um, there were a couple of shitheads. One shithead was um, shown the door in like episode two. Cool. Um, The other shithead was a shithead because he was uh, self-medicating with booze. The captain talked to him. He got a grip. And then the season was kind of not terribly interesting. So at the end, Captain Sandy sort of had to, like, there was all of this manufactured agita in the last episode and a half about how um, Hannah's table settings were not like white glove, five star, whatever. So Captain Sandy keeps giving her these lectures about it in front of the rest of the crew while giving her usual like um, the secret style, like envision your future speeches. And Captain Sandy has this way of 
stringing together whole like just daisy chaining cliches together but she completely loses control of it in the finale so she's saying things like blow it out of the park which just made me giggle for like 10 (laughs) minutes because i'm five i had to pause it and i was just like blow it out of the park like how does that even work is there a t-shirt cannon do you get sips of water it i I don't know so it, it was a perfectly fine season but i definitely felt i definitely felt the hand of the producers at the end with captain sandy who is not really that guy in terms of um harassing the interior when the guests don't have any complaints that she's like why aren't there you know why are these uh, polyester napkins and not satin? Like, why couldn't you find something at this market that you were in for 10 minutes? And I was like, you know, producers, sometimes they just, there's just not a lot of fucking and fighting and there's nothing you can do about it. Just, just leave it. Um, fortunately, uh, below deck prime is returning. And for my plug, I will note that I will be doing power rankings for Below Deck Prime on primetimer.com. So when the new season starts next week, uh, look out for those very shortly after airtime. And that's it. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! It's time for the canon. Submitting this week is our guest, Kim Reed. Kim, take it away. Okay, so I'm really excited to present for the canon Survivor Season 16, Episode 13. If it smells like a rat, give it cheese. And I have to say, I wrote up my presentation and then I went back and cut it in half. Uh, And it's still pretty long, so I'm going to try to talk (laughs) fast. Okay. So this episode contains one of the most memorable moments in Survivor history. But what I want to try to explain is why it's not just about that moment. 
the whole episode builds to that moment and is as carefully plotted as any heist movie. And I should give a hat tip to Dalton Ross of Entertainment Weekly, who wrote an amazing oral history of this moment back in May, where he got pretty much all the key players to participate. I purposely didn't reread it before generating the submission because I didn't want to just totally rip it off. But you should definitely read it. And I think Tara will put the link in the show notes, hopefully. Sarah will, but yes. Sarah will, yes. I shall. Okay. So... Just to give some context to the episode, season 16 featured fans or new players versus favorites returning players. And as one would expect, the favorites got killed by the fans in the early going. The other twist this season was that people could get sent to Exile Island, the only place where players could find either a hidden immunity idol or a clue to a hidden immunity idol. So after a tribe swap and emerge, they were left with a bunch of women who banded together and blindsided Ozzy, a legend, maybe in his own mind, who was voted <laughs> out with an idol in his pocket. And then Jason, a dummy, who also left with an idol in his pocket. And then my large adult son, James, got medevaced. <laughs> so that means at the beginning of this episode, the remaining players are Sari, Amanda, and Parvati, who have been mostly working together for a while now. And Natalie who's been loosely aligned with her buddy from the original fans tribe, Eric, the one remaining dude. And here are the steps that led to that amazing tribal council at the end of the episode. Step one, Natalie and Eric make a deal. So Natalie and Eric agree they need to get Amanda out next, and they definitely don't want to send her to Exile Islands where she might find another idol. So they agree if either of them wins the next challenge, they will send the other to Exile Island. Step two, the Black Widow Brigade, that's Sari. Amanda and Parvati, get Eric all confused. Sari, who I consider the master strategist behind what became known as the Black Widow Brigade, talks to Amanda and Parvati, and she realizes they need to influence Eric's thinking on who he's going to send to exile in our first clip. Eric is whoever gets to him first. If Amanda could get in his head that she forgives him, he'll do whatever she says. So that Amanda goes and does exactly that, as she explains in our next clip. Eric's very, very naive, so I think I can definitely manipulate his mind into sending poverty to exile. So this step establishes that Eric has a hard time telling the women something to their faces if he thinks they're going to be disappointed in him. So instead, he just lies. Doesn't work out well for him. Step three, Eric's choice. So Eric wins the reward challenge. He decides to take Amanda with him on his spa reward. And instead of Natalie, who he agreed to send to exile, he sends Parvati, who Amanda told him to send. And Natalie's left standing there like, dude, I thought we had a deal. Step four, Sari pounces. So once Eric and Amanda go on reward and Parvati goes to exile, Sari and a vulnerable Natalie are left alone at camp. And Sri decides to take advantage, as she explains in our next clip. I was kind of just yanking Natalie around a little bit, which is fun for me because it's killing her. She thinks she has Eric in her pocket. So the three members of the Black Widow Brigade are all following through on their assignments. Amanda's convincing Eric they're on the same team. Sari is convincing Natalie they're on the same team. And Parvati is sunning herself on Exile Island, but also preventing anyone else from getting an idol. And you know the part of the heist film where they get the team together? They just got the team together. (laughs) Step five, Eric makes it worse. When Eric and Amanda return from their reward, Natalie is 
pissed. And she's giving Eric the silent treatment big time. But, you know, maybe Eric could come up with some rationale to appease Natalie and get them both back on the same side. Except then Natalie overhears Eric talking to Sari in our next clip. So maybe me, you, and Parv should go to the end and do that instead. That would mean we would get rid of who? Either Matt or Amanda. So Natalie is done with Eric at this point. Now that she sees he's telling Sari to get rid of her. Step six, Eric realizes he screwed up. Natalie, Sari, and Amanda come together and compare notes, and they realize that Eric's trying to make finals deals with each of them. And Eric's reaction is our next clip. Uh, I might have screwed up quite a bit. <laughs> I've been telling these girls all these different things, and I walked up on all three of them talking to each other. And I'm worried. I'm definitely worried. <laughs> he should be. So Eric's in a bad spot socially, but at least he realizes it, right? And he even says he knows he has to win immunity or he's going home. So this is the part of the heist film where we've learned the stakes. If Eric doesn't win immunity, he's going home. And if he does, the women's plans are dashed. Step seven, Sari has an idea. So Eric does win immunity. And if, like me, you're rooting for the women to pull it off, you're probably thinking, well, shit balls. And after the challenge... The women are sitting around moping about how they're out of options and they'll probably have to vote out Natalie and they fill Parvati in on what she missed while she was in exile. And then our next clip happens. That sucks that he won. God. If he didn't have that necklace, he'd be gone. I wonder if he would give Nat his necklace. <laughs> probably not, huh? What? You think you could talk him into giving you the necklace? That worth your magic. You can convince him to give it to you. So that pause while you see Sari thinking, and then the music cuts out, and then she says, I wonder if he would give Nat his necklace. It's the part of the heist movie where the plan is set in motion. Like if this episode was directed by Steven Soderbergh, there'd be some jazz music and a montage. And because this could never work, right? Natalie even says that. She says it's the dumbest thing she's ever heard. And we heard Eric say right before the challenge that he knows he screwed up with the women and they're all mad at him and they don't trust him. And if he doesn't win immunity, he's out. There's no way he would give up his immunity necklace, right? So the women have to come up with a plausible sounding reason why Eric should give Natalie the necklace. And they come up with the idea that Sari says she's willing to vote with Natalie and Eric and take out Amanda. But the only way she'll trust that Eric is serious and loyal is if he gives his necklace to Natalie at Tribal Council. Step eight, Natalie baits the hook. So Natalie has to sell this ridiculous story to the mark, Eric. And at first, Eric says, no way he's giving up his necklace. But Natalie reminds him he needs to make a big move in front of the jury to get their votes. This hits home for Eric because he's worried about the jury. And he says he needs to talk to Suri. Step nine, Suri reels in the fish. Suri is the closer. Listen to Suri. She's so good that Eric actually starts making her argument for her in our next clip. What is the problem with me keeping immunity and still voting Amanda? Because I don't, I don't know if I would believe that you would vote Amanda. Okay. I wish I could, like, trust you in the fact of just you saying it, but you kind of took that all away. My word isn't good anymore. No. And I'm all, like, sketchy. Exactly. I'm like, so what do I do? Do I 
that's why it has to be that way. I, I mean, I know it's hard to ask somebody to give up immunity, but for me, if you were to save Nat, then I would believe you and I would that would cue me that we're all going to vote Amanda. Step 10, the insurance. So Sari tells Amanda and Parvati to give Eric a ton of shit at tribal council for his behavior over the past few days. And she says she and Natalie will stay quiet so that if Eric's still on the fence, maybe he'll get nervous and decide to side with Natalie and Sari. Step 11, Eric gets blasted. So at tribal council, Amanda and Parvati play their roles to perfection, berating Eric for trying to make deals with each woman individually, thinking they wouldn't talk to one another. And poor Eric acts like a high school boyfriend who knows his girlfriend is mad, but he's not sure why. And he definitely doesn't know how to make her not be mad anymore. So he just apologizes a bunch of times and he hopes that works. Step 12, Sri twists the knife. So now that Eric has parroted what Natalie told him about needing redemption in front of the jury, it's time for Sri to twist the knife when Jeff asks her if redemption even matters at this point in our next clip. I think it does matter, Jeff, because ultimately it lies in the hands of the people who are voted out this late and become jury members. So I think you are able to redeem yourself, and I think it's really important that you do, especially if you've been discredited. If you've been discredited, the words you say means absolutely nothing. It's your actions that will show and prove what's really going on. I mean, she might as well have turned and said that directly to Eric because everybody knows that's who she's talking to. Step 13, the hammer falls. So Jeff calls for the votes. Eric stands up and he says he's giving his immunity necklace to Natalie. And the jury falls out laughing at him. And Eric immediately realizes he's made a mistake, but he has to let it play out just in case. And plus, you know, no takes these backsies. So the women all vote for Eric and the producers don't even try to hide their votes like they do sometimes because we all know what's happening. So we get Ceri's vote and has one of my all time favorite quotes in life, not just Survivor. She says, my mother always told me you may not be able to beat him with these all the time. She points to her muscles, but you can always beat him with this. And she points to her brain. That's like the Ceri Fields mantra. So the denouement, Jeff reads all the votes. Eric's voted out, gets his torch snuffed, and literally sprints away from tribal council. And I kind of feel bad for him. But also, dude, what were you thinking? And I like to think the season ended right there because while I do think that Parvati was a deserving winner, it makes me really sad that Ceres never won. And at this point, probably never will, no matter how many times she comes back. Because everyone knows what a threat she is, and no one's letting her get within spitting distance of a finale. So in conclusion, there are a few things that make this episode canon-worthy. First, it does contain one of the most memorable and famous tribal councils in Survivor history. And maybe more importantly for me, it gives a ton of screen time to one of the few successful all-female alliances this show has ever seen, led by the great Ceri Fields. The type of complex social game that women tend to play on Survivor usually gets less respect from both the show and the fandom. So it was great to see it outlined in such detail here. And finally, the moment when Eric gives up his necklace wouldn't have nearly as much impact if the editors hadn't done such an amazing job setting up everything that has to happen to make that moment happen, step by step. It makes the payoff that much sweeter. And for that reason, I submit Survivor Season 16, Episode 13 to the canon. Uh, I'll go first. Kim, what an episode. What a presentation. What a joy. Um, <laughs> we, 
we recently have had a run of uh, reality show submissions to the canon, and the last two that we did were both very early seasons, um, Project Runway last week, and then Real Housewives of Beverly Hills the week before that. Um, and and I said at the time in both those cases, it's fun to watch those early seasons when they're still so unpolished and the participants like are not so aware of the cameras and how to perform. But like the opposite is true of this episode in so many ways, not just because it's all stars returning, although obviously that's a part of it, but like even the moment where they're, they're strategizing like how they're going to perform for the jury, like Mm -hmm. the complexity of what they have to do in order for this to work, like leaving aside, you know, convincing Eric to act against his own interest in this <laughs> spectacularly flagrant way. And like the part where Natalie's like, how am I going to convince him of that? It sounds stupid just listening to you say it. Like, it's true. <laughs> but it works because, as you say, Eric's dynamic with these women who are like clearly allied with each other and against him is like, I don't want anyone to be mad at me and I am scared of anyone like, I'm scared of being on your bad side. So whatever, whatever, sure, yes. But like, the, the, being able to play that against him is, you know, part of the, as you said, part of the complexity of this, of the show and of the game. Um, that's such a big part of it. And especially this late in it where like, clearly they're, they're not doing physical challenges anymore. Like, everyone is exhausted. <laughs> There's only four yeah. of them left. Like, this is what it takes. And, the the turn of like watching the jury as they all file in and like all as all juries are they're still like pissed off and wounded that they are not in the game anymore to watching them realize what they're witnessing <laughs> and and once like it's too far gone for Eric to change his mind back like all of the women in the that are still in the game just like openly laughing that this fucking worked like it's so good this is clearly the show at its best excellent pick thank you for letting us watch it sarah um i don't know if any of you has ever seen a house cat with a rodent that's <laughs> that's what this is like that this poor little vole is just like being batted and stepped on and it's like surely if i squeak pathetically i can get out of this situation no that's <laughs> that's not how predation works it, it really is it really is something and like as i'm making notes because i i remembered this episode vaguely but my notes up to sort of the up to so i guess when uh parvati went to exile uh and i'm like wait why is this the plan because there is a moment in every Survivor episode, like around minute 32, where I'm like, wait, what? Like, I would need a chalkboard. <laughs> and then it all sort of began to cohere. And I was like, I don't know if like this point in a Survivor season is something that I would put up for the canon. But and then my notes a little later, are like, <laughs> if this works, I will build a physical building for the canon and put this in because I just completely forgotten the outcome. And the I think one of my favorite moments also is Kim's adult son, James, being like, <laughs> finally, I'm not the biggest dumbass. <laughs> yes. James got voted out with two immunity idols in his pocket. Yeah, uh, well, the pre- well, that's right. I, I mean, th- this really was so. This really was so enjoyable, and this presentation, sort of following the beats of basically um, an Ocean's movie, makes yeah. it even more enjoyable. It was so. Like I was making little squeaking vole noises of my own watching this, <laughs> and I was like, "This is a thing that happened on TV 
that we got to witness and it was glorious. Uh, well done all around. Dave. I think uh, we have to give a shout out to the story editors out there. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's easy to think that all that happened as we watched it on TV, but obviously there's a lot of stuff to mm. carve out and around. Um, you know, I think we're always aware of it here because we have so many friends that did that. Uh, shout out to DJB. And there was a moment that I kind of made me think about the cameraman. Um, about halfway through, there's a scene where Natalie is outside of the little hut in the beach where um, Eric is doing some, saying something stupid, you know, kind of giving away his plans. I was just thinking, mm-hmm. like, how quiet do the cameramen have to be and how, you know, because, like, his back was sort of turned to where Natalie was, but, like, it's not a hut with very solid walls. Like, it would be pretty easy <laughs> to hear and see somebody scuttling around. So if you didn't see Natalie, certainly, like, there's got to be at least two cameramen in that scene, the way it played out, maybe three. And just to be that unaware of what's going on around you, never mind the contestant, but also the production going around you at the same mm-hmm. time, just that that set all this in motion was just kind of like amazing. And you, do, you don't mm-hmm. often think about, you know, the cameramen. And that's, you know, one of the good things about the show is, you know, they have to be there, but how they usually hide it very well. The end game is obviously amazing. I've said many times how much I enjoyed the Mitchell blindside from the earlier season, season two, I think, or three. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is like, like that, but you see the train coming so much sooner. Like everybody does except for Eric. And that makes it (laughs) so much fun to watch. I felt like the whole end between Eric and everybody else at tribal council was sort of like playing this game of Uno where, First of all, Uno will tear families apart, so so yeah. something like this. But it's like when you have two cards, right? And you got like a wild card and say like a blue two. And you have to play against a red four. So you have to play your wild card and go Uno, right? And Eric's going to be like the guy who plays just before you when it circles around. So you put down your wild card and you got a blue two in your hand. And you say green. Because you know Eric's dumb enough to fall for that, where he'll change it to another color. Sure enough, he does. So there's that part of it where he easily fell into your trap. But there's that other part of it where you're like, he's gonna turn it blue and then go green, <laughs> and that's like everybody else at Tribal Council. It's just like this this moment where you know everything's going your way. The adrenaline shoots. You can't wait to like slap that card in the table, stand up, and go. No motherfuckers, and you flip the table, you start punching people, you know, as you do. Um, and I had no idea. I had checked out a survivor well before this. Like, I think Tara estimated we were up to like maybe season nine or 10 before we checked out for real. I think that sounds right. Yeah. And this is season 16. If you told me, asked me beforehand how many years ago was season 16, I would have said, I don't know, five. I don't know. Then that's not where season 40 almost. <laughs> um, but the train wreck that was. Eric. And even like the way he looks at the beginning of the episode, like I was like, oh, this guy just walked out of a 1970s Leif Garrett, totally surf film where he's like the guy <laughs> who's serving hot dogs at the snack bar on the beach. And then his Chiron comes up and it says ice cream scooper. I'm like, well, perfect. You know, like yep. this cannot be cast any better. And it could not uh, have happened any better. It was so much fun to watch. Um, it would be really hard to like 
get jazz for the finale after watching that because you know yeah, like yeah. even if your favorite person won it's never going to be as good as that even winning the million dollars is going to be a footnote for this season to what happened in this episode yep. and with good reason that's true yeah really fun thank you kim had no idea that we had another mitchell moment in survivor and i was very very happy to watch it so let yeah put this to the official vote tara ariano your vote yay Sarah D. Bunting, what say you? Yay. And I'll say yay too. So. That means Survivor Season 16, Episode 13, If It Smells Like a Rat, Give It Cheese. You are hereby inducted into the extra hot gray candy. Americans love a winner. Yup. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It is time for winner and loser of the week. Sarah has the winner. I sure do. Um, Andrew Scott, a.k.a. Hot Priest, and before that, Moriarty on Sherlock, is set to play Mr. Ripley on Showtime. This is the casting slash project I had absolutely no idea was a complete necessity in my life until it occurred, (laughs) and now I cannot fucking wait. This is Tom Ripley from the novels by Patricia Highsmith, Highsmith as seen on film in um, The Talented Mr. Ripley starring yes, Matt Damon. Not, uh, a much worse Mr. Ripley now that we know the character. Yeah, it not, is, a, um, not Ripley's Believe It or Not, although not, it, not there may Ellen be some unbelievable things that happen. <laughs> Have you ever watched the old Ripley's Believe It or Not with Jack Palance, where he's just like yeah. phoning it in and doesn't really understand what he's saying? They're amazing. <laughs> Who has our loser of the week? I think it's Tara. Well, I mean, I do, but it's really just a setup for Kim to talk. So uh, Ray Lewis is dropping out of Dancing with the Stars after aggravating an old foot injury. Also, his partner, Cheryl Burke, is dropping out. This is the second that I know of. Um, Christy Brinkley fell and broke her wrist, although Wendy Williams has like been throwing (laughs) around conspiracy theories about that, too, that she faked it so that she could slot in her daughter instead. But... I don't know anything about Dancing with the Stars, so I'm going to let Kim have a second shot at Around the Dial. Uh, Kim, what are your thoughts about this and about the season in general? Um, I actually haven't been watching. Um, oh! I haven't watched in a few seasons. Oh, wow. Uh, but since I stopped, not nah, about since I stopped writing about it, but um, I definitely didn't want to watch this season because of Sean Spicer. Of but, course. Um, I will admit, I did watch James Vanderbeek's first week dance on YouTube. I looked that up. Mm-hmm. Um, Guys, he's pretty good. He I was can pretty see that. good. I, I can, can see him that. going the whole way. Also, because I didn't really know, like, it's a lot of like Bachelor people that I don't watch The Bachelor. And, right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, it, you know, Cheryl always gets the athletes. That's sort of her ni- niche, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and people often get hurt on this show, but usually it's weird because usually the athletes don't drop out because of injuries because, you know, they're going to tough it out or whatever. Right. Which makes me kind of wonder either, I don't know, either he was doing really badly anyway, Mm. um, or sometimes I think people get on the show and they don't really know what they're getting into because it's really hard and it's Mm -hmm. very physically demanding. Yeah. And I think sometimes people get on the show and then by about week two, they're kind of like, yeah, no, I'm done. <laughs> um, so they either sort of just flub the routine um, or, you know, have have a quote unquote injury. Right. Um, I don't know what the case is here, but that definitely has happened in past seasons as well. Yeah, I, I do mean, feel bad. Sorry. I do feel I just, bad when that happens for the their professional dance partner, because from what I understand, the professional dancers um much like a lot of reality shows get paid for the number of, they don't have like a season contract. Oh, they get paid for the, 
number of weeks they stay in the show. Um, and then they can get like stipends for if they do any of the like group dances and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Cheryl's out of paycheck, which makes me feel a little bit bad, but that's eh, She'll be fine. Yeah. She, yeah. I, I have to think if you're someone like Ray Lewis, where it's like, uh, I have enough money to not have to do this. I'm going to not. Cause it's not just physically demanding. It's like, it's, it's, it's a head thing too, where you have to like remember the routine and you know, it's, it, it is complicated. I can, I can imagine that it's, it's harder than it even looks and it looks pretty hard. Apparently this injury requires surgery too. So mm. oh. it's not like he just tweaked something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what else requires surgery? <laughs> Game time. <laughs> It is game time, and this is the 10th game time of the season. Season scores, Tara 4, Sarah 3, value guess 2. Today we are playing also known as from John Potts, Potsy, who earns himself an extra credit topic of his choosing. Some people go by more than one name. I'm going to give you the name of a character. You tell me what they are better known as. For example, I will say Clark Kent, you say... Superman. Superman. Sure. For two points, you'll tell me the also known as name. If you need a hint, I will give you the show, after which the correct answer is worth one point. Two point for the name, one point for the name after the clue. You only get to answer once, so think hard about whether you want that clue or not. Uh, steel tip. meals situation, please, Tar Ariana. <clears throat> Thank you, Dave. I have five steel meals. Valued guests have one. All right. Let's throw it So, up. Kim, be aggressive with that steel meal call. So okay. that you say it if you have one before Dave can give the answer. Okay. Vicky, who's going first? We will start with Tara. All right. Tara, Sarah, Kim is our order today. We have 33 questions. Are we ready to play also known as? Yes, sir. Yes. yes. Here we go. Tara. Armin Tamzarian. Seymour uh, Skinner. Seymour Skinner from The Simpsons is good for two points. Sarah D. Bunting. Salvador Bonpensiaro. Uh, that is Big Pussy from The Sopranos. You are correct for two points. Kim. Yes. Peter Baelish. That's uh, Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. You are correct. Everybody got there first for two points. Tie game. Woo. Back to Tara. Chuck Finley. Chuck Finley. Joe. Burn Notice. Oof. Michael Weston. Oh, no, it's Sam Axe. Sam Axe, correct. Sarah D. Bunting, chance to pull ahead. Richard Whitman. Don Draper. (laughs) Kim Reed. Andre Michaud. Show. It's a show called Alias. Andre Michaud. Boy, um, I can't think of the character name I want to say, but he was on iZombie. Oh, I shouldn't give clues in case someone does a steel meal. I, uh, I don't know. The answer we're looking for, Andre Michaud, Michael Vaughn. Michael Vaughn. Oh, Michel oh yeah. Both of the French. Right. Frenchie. 
Tari Ariano, on the one, I'm going to say, totally impossible question of this quiz belongs to you, so congratulations. <laughs> Great. The character named Cringer. Cringer. Okay, show. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. <laughs> Perfect. Um, He-Man. <laughs> uh, the universe. Yeah. Uh, the answer we were looking for is Battle Cat. That's He-Man's Battle Cat. Uh, so you're course. adjacent. Of course. Adjacent. Good old BC. <laughs> Sarity Bunting. Jack Package. Jack Package? Show. Yes. How I Met Your Mother. Um, uh, uh, well, I know it's not the mother. Eh, I don't, I don't know character names. The mother. <laughs> Steel Meal. Steel Meal from Kim. Barney Stinson. Yes, correct. And that gives there you, you go. One extra God, point. I couldn't come up with that one name. I was like, Harold? <laughs> and Kim, here's your actual real question. Princess Consuela Banana Hammock. Oh, oh! I, I I should know this. I think. Uh, hint: the show is Friends. Phoebe Buffay. You are correct. It's so bad. I should have known that. <laughs> Darn it! Why could you said Regina Falanges? Uh-huh. I got that. <laughs> Vortara, Balthazar. Show. The original version of Charmed. Jeff. <laughs> we were looking for Cole Turner. Cole Turner. Sure. Not what I would have guessed. Okay. Zerity Bunting, James Novak. Hint. Supernatural. Shout out to our French audience. <laughs> uh, we. James Novak. James Novak. Um. Uh, Dean Winchester. We're looking for Castile. Castile. Oh, that mofo. Back to Kim Reed. Brian Williams. Brian Williams. Uh, hint. Friday Night Lights. Smash Williams. Correct. For one point. I seriously was like, did Tracy Morgan ever call yeah, I was like, like, is it 30 Rock? I, I, Brian. <laughs> Tara Ariano, Clark Westerfeld. Yes. Mark? Clark. Like, oh, uh, the Americans. Oh, the, oh, I'm sorry. Um, Philip Jennings from the Americans. You are correct. Two points. Sarah D. Bunting, Offred. Offred. Does it matter that I don't know her last name? I will give you for... I am grading these on the curves. This is definitely a first name answer. Okay, June. June Osborne, correct. Osborne. All right, this will take us into our first break. Kim, your character, Irene Adler. Irene Adler. Hmm. I think I know the show, so it's not going to help, but just in case, uh, show. The show is elementary. Oh, that's not what I was thinking it was. (laughs) I mean, I thought it was Sherlock, so close. Uh, Moriarty? You are correct. Really? Professor Jamie Moriarty on... Oh, I see what they did there. (laughs) All right. Let's hear Dem Scores, Tari Ariano. 
It's a pretty close game for some more than others. Kim and Sarah are tied with six points each. I have four. All right. Six, six to four. We're almost halfway through. Getting back to Tara. Your character is James Ford, also known as what? I think that's Sawyer from Lost. You are correct for two points. It is. Nice. <laughs> Nicely done. This is question 17. Spread Eagle. Spread Eagle. It is for Sarah. Al... Al Brennan. Al Brennan. And let me just say, if you don't know this one, by the end of this question, your mind will be blown. (laughs) Al Brennan. Hint. The A-Team. Al Brennan? Yeah. Um, B.A. Baracus? No. We're looking for Face Man. Face man. Oh, oh shit! I was gonna say that. Yeah. All right. To Kim Heisenberg. Uh, that's Walter White. It is Walter White. You are correct. Is. This is question. It is for Tara, and I gotta say, Picky is all over the mismatches today. Michael <laughs> Long. Michael Long. And Knight Rider. Damn oh. it. Michael Knight. Michael Knight. Good for one point. <laughs> Sarah D. Bunting, Why? good chance of knowing this one if I'm uh, reading your TV history correctly. Krev Lornswath of the Deathwalk Clan. Kren Lornswath of the Deathwalk Clan. What history of TV are you reading? Well, <laughs> we'll find out when you get the answer wrong. I yeah, guess. I guess we will. Hint, please. The show is Angel. I'm sorry. Can you read the Can you read the character name one more time? Krev. Yes, I'm absolutely. My pleasure. Krev Lornswath of the Deathwalk Clan. That is Lorne. That is Lorne. You are correct. May you rest, Kim Reed. Yeah. Who is Chocolate Bear, also known as? Uh. That is Turk from Scrubs. You are correct. Yeah. Tara, Carolyn Farrell, or Caroline Farrell, who's to say? Not me. Uh, hint. Your show, Dollhouse. Oh, I don't Ew. know anyone's name on that show. Jeff. <laughs> Answer we're looking for, Echo. Echo. Okay. Sarah D. Bunting, Mr. Gold. Mr. Gold. I feel like I'm going to be mad, but hint. Once upon a time. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to be mad. Rumpelstiltskin, why not? Hey! Oh. Correct for one point. Kim Reed, Cassidy Casablancas. Uh, Beaver? Correct for two <laughs> points from Veronica Mars. <laughs> Nailed it. Tara. Yeah. Gabriel Gray. And... Heroes. Um, Super Jack. What did you just say? Super Jack? <laughs> I said Super Jack. Jack. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, three Dave points. Second of all, wrong. Okay. The answer we're looking for was Siler. Siler. Oh, okay. Sarah D. Bunting. Carl Gerhard Bush. Carl Gerhard Bush. Hint. The X-Files. 
Cigarette smoking man? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kim, take us into our second score break. Walter Eugene O'Reilly. Hint. The show MASH. Radar O'Reilly. Radar. Correct for one point. And let's hear them scores. Everybody's got two questions left. Okay, well, we're pulling apart. Kim has 13 points. Sarah has nine points. I have seven points. All right. Well, a tie is mathematically possible. So let's see how it plays out, starting with inconsequential Tara Ariano. Hello. Jason Stiles. Oh, no. I feel like I know this one, too. Digger! Digger! From Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Digger! Digger! That's correct. Well done. Thank you. Sarah D. Bunting, Jenny Burton. Jenny Burton. I have to swing at both of these for two points, right? Yeah. Feel free to talk it through. It's not Benson. Mm. There's really nothing else to say. So, Gossip Girl. The character of Gossip Girl is... Incorrect. Put down that delicious Subway sandwich. That was from Chuck, and we were looking for Sarah Walker. Sarah Walker. Kim Reed, you've clinched it, but let's get some more points up there. Jack Roche. Uh, Hint. All right. This is really going to be hard to connect the dots. Jack Roche from 24. Jack Bauer. Mm. One point. (laughs) Yay. Tara. Jian Yu Lee. Uh, Jason from The Good Place. You are correct, Jason Mendoza. Sarah D. Bunting, Mr. Wednesday. Mr. Wednesday. Hint. American Gods. Well, just think it through. Wednesday. Adams. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> The answer we were looking for is Odin. Odin. Oh, yes. that mofo. Yeah, that Wednesday. <laughs> All right, last question of the game for Kim. Emily yes. Goldfinch. Emily Goldfinch. Hint. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Emily Goldfinch on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, Amy? Rosa. 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 I mean, I had a shot. All right. That is regulation. Tara Ariano, our final scores, please. D- uh, Sarah finished with nine. I had 11. Kim is our victor with 14. Ooh, Woo! nicely done, Kim. All right. Let's oh, use this tiebreaker for shits and giggles plus a steel meal for future use. And they're becoming very important because this season is getting tight. I will read the character name. You shout out who they are also known as. If nobody's got it after a bit, I will also give you the show. Are you locked in, Kim? Yeah. Tara? Yes. Sarah? Yeah. Here we go. Your character, John James Preston. Mr. Big. Mr. Big from Sarity Bunting is correct from Sex and (laughs) the City. I have not had a steel meal in like months. Nice work. Congratulations, Kim. Well done. Well done. And thank you, Potsy, for another fabulous game time. 
That is it for this episode of Extra Hot Great. We triple dipped into the S's for quick looks at Survivor Season 39, Stumptown, and Sunnyside before going around the dial with stops at Buzz, Perfect Harmony, The Challenge, and Below Deck Mediterranean. Kim scooped up Survivor's dumbest contestant for her successful cannon pick. We (laughs) crowned winners and losers of the week. And Kim was a winner of this week's game time on behalf of the value guests. Remember, we're listening. I am David T. Cole telling you you can now follow Extra Hot Great on Instagram. Woo! On behalf of Tara Ariana. Buzz, watch it. Sarah D. Bunting. What happened to your face? And Kim Reed. The tribe has spoken. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Great. Thanks, I owe you one. Oh, thank me. Hit me on Instagram. I need the likes. <laughs> <laughs>